you guys can pull out your Bibles. We're going to turn to 2 Timothy 4. And I didn't look in the bulletin. Um, it may say 1 to 2, but once I got going, I just didn't want to stop. So we're actually going to go through 5 this morning. Right? Yeah, verse 5. <clears throat> so we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 to 5. Um, this, uh, Paul has allowed me to do a standalone message this morning, and he allowed me to choose what scripture uh, I got to bring this morning. And First um, and Second Timothy have been really something that I've been spending a lot of time in since uh, even before summer. This last summer at camp, we spent the 10 weeks of our Sunday night series going through the Timothys, and um, so I had some rich time of sitting under other people's teachings in it, and I had the blessing to teach on chapter 4 of 2 Timothy at the end of the summer. Um, and it's just been one of those, one of, it's been a lot of that scripture that's just kind of stuck with me. Um, and so I, I'm excited to share what God has been cultivating uh, kind of for a while in my heart um, based on what Paul has written to Timothy in this letter. So we're going to jump in. So as I was writing, I got thinking, uh, do, you, do you save letters? Like when someone gives you a thank you note or, yeah, right? Or like a note of encouragement, um, something like that. Do you save those? Sort of. I do. I have two drawers. I have one in my house uh, and I have one in my office desk drawer that I save these letters. Uh, and I'm kind of with Eric. It's kind of like one of these. I try really hard to save them. I have a hard time hanging on to things too, though. I like purging a lot. So... Um, I tend to hold on to these cards fairly often, though. Um, these are cards that people have given me that are encouraging, that are uplifting. Some letters are from times that my actions have negatively impacted or hurt people. Um, and some are reminders of people who have passed away. These letters have value. They have value to me because they point to a time in my life where my actions impacted someone. When I'm down... I sometimes go to one of those drawers and I, I'll pull out these cards and I'll read them and I'll reread them just for a little bit of encouragement. They help me to remember what God has done through me. They help me get excited in times that excitement is just really hard for me to muster. And the letters that are hard to read sometimes are good for me to pull out when I'm feeling like I'm kind of all that. And they remind me that I, I am not all that. <laughs> that I can learn from my flaws, that I can be a better Christ follower, and that that learning to be a Christ follower will never be complete this side of the grave. So this morning, as, as we delve into uh, 2 Timothy 4, we're going to read this scripture, which is a letter from Paul to Timothy that Paul wrote right toward the end of his life. Some people refer to 2 Timothy as Paul's last will and testament. And Paul is writing this letter from prison. So he doesn't have the heat set at 68 degrees. He doesn't have nice sunshine flowing through the windows. Paul is in a dark, dank, no sanitation, hands in chains prison cell. They are absolutely horrible conditions. Paul knows that his time on this earth is coming to an end. And Paul also knows the value of a well-timed letter. So he's writing this letter to Timothy, his spiritual son, to encourage him to stay strong in the faith and stay strong in his preaching of the word. 
If I were Timothy, I'm not sure that this letter would ever make it into one of my drawers. <laughs> not because I would purge it, not because I would get rid of it, because this is a letter that would probably sit right on my nightstand that I would read every morning and every night. This is a letter that is a daily reminder to what we have been called to do in Christ. This letter was written specifically to Timothy, but God declares it to all of us in his word. So we all might also be encouraged to make known the gospel to those around us. So please stand as we read 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. I kind of toyed with the idea of reading all of 2 Timothy, um, but instead I'm just going to encourage you to do that today when you go home. <laughs> 2 Timothy 4, 1-5 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. So no matter what level of theological training, skill set, job, profession, schooling, background, ethnicity, personal tastes, or any of these earthly identifiers, we are called first and foremost to be preachers of the word. Paul makes that very clear in this letter. We tend to look at this list of earthly, earthly identifiers as things that we can cling to in order to find purpose in this life. We trust in our education. We trust in our skills on the job. We trust in our relationships with other people. And you can probably extend this list of things we trust in for pages and pages. But at some point, all of these things will fail us. They let us think that we have a purpose other than the one that Paul talks about here. As Paul writes this, he makes it very plain to Timothy, his young apprentice, that he is to preach the word. Paul placed Timothy in the church at Ephesus uh, specifically to preach the word and remind the congregation that the word of God is supreme over all. There is nothing better to guide us and absolutely nothing else. Sorry. <clears throat> and no, absolutely nothing else besides God's word that will lead us to redemption. At the time in Ephesus, key leaders of the church and many churchgoers had begun to defect and leave the church due to persecution. This put Timothy in a tough place. Not only was he young, we read that earlier in Timothy. So we know that Timothy kind of has this, like, mm, I'm not very confident, I'm kind of young, it's hard for me to step in front of these people and tell them how they need to follow God. 
But he's in this tough place because he is to guide and shepherd Christians who are amazing Christians when it's easy to be Christians, right? But when it becomes difficult to express trust in the gospel and hope in Christ, many of these folks defected. They walked away from the faith and they walked away from the church. Does that sound like anywhere you know? Does that even sound like any situations that you've been in? At work? At a party? At the park? Where other people may be pushing back against Christianity, saying things like, that's such a dated way of thinking. That book's so old, why, why do you even put your trust in what it says? Or, how do you know we have a God? Why do you trust in, in something you can't even see? What's your response? Do you stand firm in your faith and defend the gospel? This charge that we read from Paul to Timothy is for you. I'm going to reread it. Verses 1 and 2, I charge you, and notice who he's charging you in the presence of. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, what does it say? Preach the word, right? Preach the word. If you proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior and commit to put nothing ahead of him in this life and strive to love others as yourself, knowing that we're going to fail in both of those things of putting him first always and loving others as ourself, but if you love God the most, this charge that Paul wrote to Timothy is a charge for you. It's a charge to stay steadfast in the Lord and in his word. To not look to other things, not look to other books, other religions, other people to find our purpose. Even though the pressures of this world are coming in on us, and sometimes you just feel the weight to conform, right? Because that would just be so much easier to laugh at the joke, to go along with what's being said, knowing that it's not pleasing to God. Sometimes you just want to conform to the world's standards. I'm here to tell you this morning, and I put it in all caps with an ex exclamation point, resist. Don't do it. Don't fall into that snare of the devil. Be ready in all times to proclaim the word. So that means after a long day of work, be ready to proclaim the word. After a really difficult test in school, be ready to proclaim the word. When your kiddo will just not go back to sleep and it's 2 a.m., be ready to proclaim the word. And that next day, after you didn't sleep, guess what? Be ready to proclaim the word. We all have seasons of life. Sometimes those seasons include hardship. Sometimes they're seasons of peace. Sometimes they're seasons of just kind of static, day-to-day -day grind. Sometimes they're seasons of growth, learning, failing, loving. Seasons help form us into who we are. Sarah and I talk about this fairly often, uh, about how each stage that we have been parents have been stages that we've enjoyed. The stage where they are infants, and you just want to hold them close and watch their little chest rise and fall with every breath that they take, to when they're learning to be mobile, and you need to do everything you can to get everything above three feet. 
um, to those times that you put them on the school bus for the first time and send them into someone else's care and you don't know what's going to happen, to the teenage years that we're still too new to deal with, so I'm not going to comment on. We've loved every stage. We've loved every season of being parents. We've learned to love our children through various issues and situations. We've learned to love each other, even though we have no idea what the next season might bring or even what tomorrow might bring. But most importantly, we've learned to trust God more and more as we strive to parent our children in a way that makes much of who Christ is. We have grown in each season, and we've learned to trust God for seasons that we're not prepared for. And if we're not prepared for difficult seasons, it makes that season hard. Just like if you're not prepared for winter, you're going to be cold. So you might ask, how do you prepare? I'm glad you did. You prepare by being rooted and growing deeper in the Word of God. No Olympic athlete steps onto the Olympic stage for the first time thinking, I bet you I can throw this javelin, right? They have been training for that Olympic moment probably since they could walk. They have worked hard. They've spent endless, countless hours training themselves, training their body, preparing for that one Olympic moment. Alex Hanold, this is the dude who decided to climb El Cap, 3,000 vertical feet with no ropes, right? He, never, he didn't wake up one morning and think, I bet you I can climb that with no ropes. That should be easy. He spent years of climbing it on rope and planning and training. He prepared his body as opposed to waking up out of his van and being like, I got this. Any elite athlete during their off-season doesn't sit down to gorge themselves on cheese puffs and pop because they know their body is their tool. Their body is their key to athletic success. We too as Christians must not check out in our life from being in the Word, from attending regularly our local Bible-believing church, and cultivating a faithful prayer life. We all have the same number of hours in a day. That doesn't change. And we all have the decision to turn towards God like a soldier, always on high alert, and prepared to be called into battle by spending that time in such a way that we are in his word daily. Not just on Sunday mornings, but every single day. And if you do it more than once a day, that's okay. When I say in his word too, I mean really studying his word, delving deeper into what he has for us. Not just a, yep, I read a verse today, I read a, couple, I read a chapter, checked it off my list, now I'm just going to go do what I need to do today. To be on high alert, we must know God's plan, as he's given us in his word. And we also need to be in constant communication with our commander. And that's done through prayer. And again, that's not a, I'm driving to work, I got some time to kill, I think I'll pray. But in, in time of, times of prayer that are set aside, that are intentional, and that are reserved for building a relationship with Christ and with God. 
We as the church of Jesus Christ must daily strive for unity in the Spirit because the world wants to distract and distance us from God. And for proof of that, look around the internet. Check social media. Turn on mainstream media. Find alternative media. Look to the political right. right, Look to the political left. It doesn't matter what your source is or where you're looking. It seems like lately, it all points back to how can I best burn my opponent? What do I have to say to get what's best for me, the outcome I desire? How can I most loudly demand that people do what I want them to do? In our current culture, we're creating a wider and wider gap between people. There's not much middle ground left in conversations anymore because there are just way too many landmines planted there. Looking at verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, and 2, he tells us, to be ready to use God's word in season and out of season. And how are we to use it? We're to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And that sounds like daunting, but then he also says, with complete patience and teaching. To reprove and to rebuke is is a way of correction. And I wonder what our church family would look like if week in and week out we knew each other well enough to aid in biblical correction in each other's lives. Do you have a person in your life that does that for you, that knows you well enough to aid in your biblical correction besides your spouse? Are you this person to someone else? Or the biggest question, do we even know Scripture well enough to catch when biblically unsound teaching is happening? To exhort is to build each other up in Scripture, to build others up in Scripture. And again, who do you build up week in and week out or day in and day out, biblically? And this was a huge call out to me as I wrote this of who am I exhorting, who am I correcting, who am I reproving and rebuking, And do I know God's word well enough to handle it properly and to recognize when unbiblical talk is happening? We use God's word and we handle his, to to use God's word and handle it properly, we have to use it accordingly. I love, like I said earlier, that Paul doesn't stop there. We have to use it with complete patience and teaching. Not for our agenda, not to get someone where we think they need to be, but with complete patience to just speak God's word into people's lives. As we look a little bit further down in Scripture, Paul talks about those who will not endure sound teaching. Verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth, and wander off into myths. I believe today's culture is exactly what Paul is talking about here. 
People have grown itchy ears, looking for others who will just tell them what they want to hear. Right? If you're on the political right, you're going to turn on Fox News. If you're on the political left, you're going to turn on CNN. And why, do I, why should I even bother listening to what the other side has to say? I just want to hear what I want. I'm going to find a church that just kind of rubs my back, pats my butt on the way out the door and says, you're good enough. I don't want to hear from the Bible that I need to repent. I don't want to hear that it's hard life out there because the world is going to push back on what Christ wants you to be doing. I just want to feel good about myself. People will turn away from truth and turn towards myths. And I find that's even easy in my life. I, I love stories. I love listening to a good storyteller. I love when Eric Bailey comes in during orientation at camp around the fire and tells stories that make you laugh so hard you fall off your log, right? I love good storytelling. I regularly listen to iPod or uh, podcasts. Um, because I love hearing that background. But sometimes I need to catch myself because I'll, I'll turn on a podcast before I'll open the Bible. I'll seek those things that just make me feel good and, and I'll get sucked into this fantasy land. And this is why we must be prepared in season and out of season to proclaim God's word. As Christians, I want you to take a minute, and I'm seriously going to be quiet for as close to a minute as I can possibly be quiet for. I want you to rewind in your head your last five, six, ten conversations that you've had. Run them back in your head. Remember them. And these can be conversations that you had with friends or family about whatever. So go ahead and take a minute and just think through, rewind those conversations. That feels about like a minute. Now, do those last five conversations look different than what popular culture is talking about? Good. <laughs> did you talk about things that matter to God? Or did you talk about the latest, latest social media post, viral video, what's on Disney Plus, or something along those lines? Did you talk about what's happening in your life? Did you pull back the curtain a little bit and let people see into that, that private self that is hard to show sometimes? Did you read the Bible or talk about what you read in the Bible recently? Or did you t and, and did you talk about things that, that God cares about, which are his people? And don't get me wrong, there's a place for fun banter. I'm not uh, saying that we should never talk about random things because if you know me, I'm fairly random. What I'm saying is we need to, to strive to have conversations that look different than people that don't believe in Jesus. What I'm saying is our problem solving, how we deal with issues when they come up, that problem solving needs to look different than a non-believer. How we deal with conflict in light of our love for Christ should set us apart from the rest of the world. 
Paul tells us in verse 5, As for you, as for us, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That is what will set us apart. So what does it mean to be sober-minded in a world that calls you to jump on every social media fad, every viral video, a world that calls you to keep up with posts on every single platform that you can fit on the app uh, on your phone? What should a sober-minded person look like today? Well, 1 Peter has a good picture of that. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So to be sober-minded means that we should be preparing our minds for action. To consider and think through what Scripture says, again, not just skimming it to say, yes, I read Scripture, but to allow it to sink in, sometimes to read and reread until we can see what the meaning looks like. It's allowing us to use our minds to process the world around us and help understand our current culture. As I understand it, to be sober-minded is to be in the world and see and understand what's going on, but not of the world, as not to get swallowed up by things that will pass away. In 1 Timothy 3.2, we see sober-minded tied to other attributes of an elder, like self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, above reproach. So to be sober-minded is to be a person who takes serious the charge that we have to guard the good deposit, that is the gospel, and be sensible in how we respond to those who disagree with us and how we live out the call that God has placed on our lives. Paul continues on by saying that we need to endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Those three flow really well together for me. I would say that if we do the work of an evangelist, remembering that to be an evangelist is living out Jesus' charge, which is to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If you are faithful in that call that Jesus gives us, we will be evangelists everywhere we go. If we do that, we will fulfill our ministry. And if we do that, we will have to endure suffering. Because this world is opposed to what the gospel has to say. People don't want to hear that what they do, what they think, what they say, what they believe, is not always what God wants for them. People want to look for those teachers mentioned earlier that will just tell them what they want to hear. Christ never said, follow me, because you know what? I'll make your life on earth real easy. It's going to be a cakewalk. You're not going to have any problems. I'll go ahead of you and just clear this path, and I'll make sure that your foot never stumbles. No. Jesus said that the path to God is the narrow path, not the wide path. And Jesus clearly didn't have an easy life on earth. He was mocked, 
disliked, and ultimately hung on a cross. So what makes you think that following him as a sinner is going to be any easier for you if that's how the Son of God was treated on earth? So are you really ready to suffer like Christ suffered? Or to suffer like Paul suffered writing this letter in chains from prison? Or like Stephen suffered being stoned for his proclamation of the gospel? Or do we think that we're suffering when we don't get our way? Or when we don't get to dedicate time to things that we like to do? For me, that's mountain biking. I can do a real good, poor me, woe is me, because I didn't get to ride my bike the last three weeks, right? And I can feel like I'm suffering because of that. It's not suffering for the gospel. Not getting what you want when you want it. Starbucks getting your order wrong. To follow Christ like Paul did. To follow Christ like Paul is instructing Timothy to do in this letter. You must be ready to lay down your will, lay down your life, and follow the will of God in every season of your life. It's easy, and I've done this. It's easy to say, this is just a really busy season in life. I have so much going on, I don't have time to go to church on Sunday morning. I have so much going on, I haven't picked up the Bible in two months. I have so much going on, I just can't find time to pray. But we are called for all seasons, to be a people who seek after God. So what does this mean for Missio Dei Church? My prayer this morning is that we hear in God's word what we are to strive for weekly as a church family. God has surrounded you with people that you can support and who will support you. And seriously, I know this is going to be weird. Look around a second. If you're in the front, look to the back. If you're in the back, look to your sides. These are people who want to support you, especially Bob. (laughs) Saw you waving back there. These are people who want to come alongside you. And I'll tell you, God has great plans for each and every one of you out here. He has great plans to prosper you, great plans to use you for his glory. They may not be plans that look like the plans that you think they should be, but I'll tell you, his plans are so much better. And as we prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving this week, I would encourage you not to just look forward to the feasting and the football, but to really take some time to step aside, to consider those mentors that God has placed in your life, and to pray for them and to thank God for them. Pray for Missio Day. For the people that God gathers in this place that have now become family because of what God, what Christ has done for us. Finally, pray that God would continue his great work through you in each and every season of your life. We're going to go into a time of prayer.
and then continue in worship. Let's pray.